Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. In worship ministry here, Isaiah chapter 6, if you have your Bibles your iPad, whatever you're going to read on, Isaiah chapter 6. Now, Isaiah may be a hard book to find. It's in the Old Testament, kind of the front. The largest book in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms, and so, Psalms, and so you can find it. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. That's about where we're laying. Isaiah chapter 6. So last week we, uh, and by the way, hey, I, we've, got a, we've got like 60 people in overflow today. Those of you in overflow... Thank you for sitting over there. We're glad you're here. You're part of the service. You just cross the hall. And so, uh, man, we're glad you're over there in overflow. Thank you for being uh, here this morning too. Um, as, so last Sunday, I started a, a sermon series called The Mission. And last week's when we introduced to you our new logo. We talked about how we're going to uh, uh, manifest the mission God has given us. Because there's no doubt what God has us for, right? Like God just did not save us for us to wait to die. God gave us a mission and you cannot argue with what the mission God gave us is. Jesus says it over and over again, it's very plain. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew 28, 18, 19 and 20, go in all the world and preach the gospel. Acts chapter one, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The mission is, is very plain in, in the Bible. We're to go preach the gospel. Well, how do, we, how do we flesh that out in our own context here at Peavine? And so we decided that our mission statement was gonna be reaching every person in Peavine City with the gospel. Now, if you don't know what Peavine City is, don't worry, it's not on the map. We made it up. Peavine City is a 20-mile radius from where I stand right now. And we just adopted that as our local mission field. So 20-mile uh, radius from where I am right now, Peavine City, I'm the mayor. We're not voting on it. I just get to be the mayor, bottom line. And so that's our motto. We'll reach every person in the Peavine City with the gospel. And, and our first goal is 1%. We want to reach 1% of Peavine City with the gospel. That's 4,970 people. In order to accomplish that, we're, we're giving you a 1% challenge. We're asking you to pray 15 minutes a day. That's 1% of your day. We're asking you to give 1% more uh, of your tithes and offerings. That would give us money. This year in two offerings, we took up $300,000 almost, 270 some to go towards remodel the Rossville campus. We don't want to always have to take up offerings. And so we're just wanting to set aside some monies um, to go directly into campus launches all around Peavine City. So we're asking for 1% more in order for us to reach 1%. That, that, that's the bottom line. You need to watch last week's sermon. We'll get it online so you can see it last week. So God has given us a mission. Now, that's our mission. That's how we say it. But uh, maybe our strategy, you might say, is we have some... Uh, very intense focuses around here. For example, we're going to be city focused. And by that we mean it's not about filling a building, it's about reaching a city with the gospel. So we're trying to reach Peavine City. That encompasses most of the Chattanooga metro area. It goes all the way down to Whitfield County, all the way to Alabama, and uh, 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 goes east as well. And then we're trying to uh, be city focused. We're also trying to be gospel focused. That means we're going to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing, without a doubt, is seeing people come to faith in Christ. So we're going to say no to a lot of good things so we can say yes to the best thing. And the best thing always leads people to faith in Jesus Christ. So we're city focused, we're gospel focused. But today I want to preach on 
Sunday focus. And here's a statement we say. Every Sunday is somebody's one day. And I'm going to explain that statement in the sermon. So today I want to preach on this subject, Sunday matters. Sunday matters. Most people, I'm afraid, when you start to think about how important Sunday is, I'm afraid. Most people see Sunday as a chore or, or, or a task or, or something that you just are, are checking off the list, an activity that you need to say, well, I came to church on Sunday morning, I'm checking that off the list so I can get on with my week. But I want to say to you that church ought to be more than a chore. Church ought to be more than you're just checking a day off a, a, a list. Church ought to be more than just an activity like I have to go to the grocery store and I have to go to church. Those aren't on equal standing with one another. Now, if you've ever wondered how important church is, let me pique your interest just for a minute because they did a study uh, not long ago that said people who go to church have a significantly lower risk of death and longer life expectancy than those that don't. Now, don't get me wrong. The death rate for Christians is still 100%, right? We're all gonna die, right? So I'm not saying you're, not, you're never gonna die. But some people live longer. And here's what the study said in the Journal of American Psychology, that those who go to church more, listen, those who go to church more than once a week enjoy even better health than those who attend only once a week. Overall, the reduction in mortality attributable to church going, listen, get this, is 25%. That is a huge amount in terms of researchers. That means that on average, people who go to church more than once a week will live 25% longer than those who do not. That's staggering. And listen, some people say, well, it's just because you have supporting relationships. Not true. They studied other groups where you have peer support and they didn't have the uh, longer lives. They studied uh, other religions other than Judeo-Christian faith, and they didn't live longer. But Christians who go to church more than once a week have a 25% longer life expectancy. Now, listen, that's huge. We only give you two opportunities to come here, right? Sunday morning, Wednesday night, some of you need to come to both services if your health is not good. Like, if you don't come on Wednesday nights because you work, we get that. Uh, we have classes on Wednesday night and Awanas and youth. You might just want to stop by the parking lot on Tuesdays and pray for a while and see if the Lord will count it, right? Because you, you, you live longer if you come to church. Now, that's not the only reason to come to church, but now that you're paying attention, listen, Sundays matter. Sundays matter because things are happening here that don't happen in any other time or place in your life. I know some of you say, well, wait, preacher, I can worship God on the lake on Sunday. Yeah, you can, but you don't. You fish on the lake on Sundays. Ryan, things happen here that don't happen on the lake. You don't take the choir with you on the lake. Your boat's not that big. You better not take my choir on the lake with you on Sundays. You don't get your teacher. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's not the same. On Sundays, they matter because this is where God shows up. Sundays matter because the Bible says not to forsake the meeting of ourselves together. Sundays matter because your fellow Christian family needs, your, uh, needs you influencing their life on Sunday. Sundays matter because people far from God find God on Sundays. Sundays matter because this is the place and this is the day when you can experience the life-transforming power of God. Yes. Just like the guy did in Isaiah chapter 6. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? 
Isaiah chapter 6, look in verse number 1. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me. It's Isaiah. Woe is me for I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and he said, behold this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Thank you, you may be seated. So if you're a guest, here's what I like to do. I like to walk you through the text. Let's kind of retell the story and then I'm gonna make three observations about the text. We come to the book of Isaiah, especially when we get in chapter six, we see that Isaiah chapter six is the conversion call and commission of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet served during a spiritually dismal time and God is calling Isaiah out to be a light in the darkness. And it happened that his call, his commissioning, his conversion happened in the middle of a worship service that God parted the curtains in heaven and allowed Isaiah to see and take part in a heavenly worship service. So let's talk about that worship service because it begins in chapter six, verse number one. It's significant, so significant that Isaiah feels like he needs to mention it, that it was the year King Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah was a paradox as a king, much like all the kings were, and by the way, much like what we are today. What do you mean by that? Well, there was some good and there was some bad. In the beginning of Uzziah's reign, he was faithful to God and, and he was blessed with great success. He was victorious in warfare. He started building projects, developed ag- agriculture, and drew the mili- uh, grew the military. But towards the end of his life, Isaiah got far from God. Matter of fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16 says this. After Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. So what happened? Well, Isaiah, uh, Uzziah, when he got kind of prideful, and Uzziah was the king of his world. He was the king of Israel, their world. He was the king of the world, he thought. And Uzziah got a little prideful in his heart and thought he knew everything. And Uzziah went down into the temple and uh, Uzziah looked at the priests. And the priests were the ones who did the work in the temple. And Uzziah wanted to be a priest. And God not called Uzziah to be a priest. And Uzziah decided that he was going to burn incense on the altar. And they said, Uzziah, you can't do that. But Uzziah said, basically, hey, I'm the king of my world. I'm the king of your world. I'm the king of the world. I can do whatever I want to do. You've seen people with that attitude, right? It starts about 14 years old, typically. He said, I'm the king of my world. He said, I'm going to burn incense. And so Uzziah went to the temple and he burned incense. And immediately God struck him with leprosy because of his pride. So much so, he became so sick that Jotham, his son, had to reign in his stead while Uzziah dealt with his illness. And so uh, he, he started off well. He ended kind of poorly. And uh, there was this great temptation in Israel to put their trust in Uzziah instead of putting their trust in God. It happens when there's a successful king. So all the land of Israel has started giving glory to the king instead of giving glory to God. Now let me just stop and parenthetically say, 
We live in a great nation and all glory goes to God. Amen. And so uh, Uzziah has died and the nation is in turmoil at the time of his death. They're scared of their enemies. Not sure what's going to happen now they don't have a strong leader. And so it's in the midst of this anxiety that God brings Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, let me show you who really sits on the throne in verse number one. And so in verse number one, God parted the windows of heaven and allowed Isaiah to see a heavenly worship service. And in verse number one, here's what he saw. God, Jesus, high and lifted up on his throne. He says that the train of his robe, which spoke to his glory and majesty, filled the temple. Above the Lord were seraphs. They're translated seraphim in, in, in most Bibles, but the Hebrew word is seraph, seraphs, and seraphs means burning one. They seem to be on fire. They were not angels, but they had faces, hands, and feet, and they had six wings. With two of the wings, they covered their face as a shine of a humility and unworthiness to look on God. With two of their uh, 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 wings, they covered their feet as a sign of reverence. And with two wings, they flew ready to do the will of the Lord. We're not told how many seraphs there were, but there must have been several. As they kept calling back and forth in song, hear these words we sang them this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The threefold repetition of holy gives supreme emphasis to his holiness as the central characteristic of the Lord. Now look this way. We live in a generation that we want to talk about the love of God. And by the way, we ought to talk and sing about the love of God. I'm all for the love of God. The Bible says God is love. Amen. But you don't get the love of God without the holiness of God to go with it. And the Bible says that God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. The basic meaning of the word holy, it means to be separate. He is separated from sin and evil. He is transcendent over the universe and separate from it. He is exalted above humankind and is supreme over all of creation. Can I get an amen right there? We're talking about Jesus. Say amen, overflow. They said it. It's loud too. I heard it. So that's the God we're talking about as we begin. And as, he, as Isaiah listens to these seraphs, the Bible says that the, the thresholds of the temple began to shake in the presence of God. And the Bible says the fire on the altar began to burn, meaning a sacrifice was coming. All that in verse first four verses. Then we get to verse number five. And Isaiah is appropriately awestruck. Seeing all of this, he was immediately aware of his own unworthiness and the need for atonement. And so here's what he says. Look in your Bibles, verse number five. He says, so I said, woe is me for I am undone. Great word there, the word undone, it means ruined, destroyed. Isaiah said, I stand in the holiness of God and I am ruined, I am undone. And Isaiah's expectation of destruction was when he was staring face to face with a holy God that all of a sudden Isaiah is aware of his uncleanness. Isaiah is aware of his impurity. And realizing his impurity and realizing the impurity of the nation of Israel, he was cleansed by God. You, you see the story there. One of the seraphims, beginning in verse number six, took a coal from off the altar and he touched his mouth with it. He said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. In verse number seven, and your sin is purged. 
That symbolic act signified the removal of the prophet's guilt and sin. We call that salvation in our day. When I trust Jesus as my Savior, there is a symbolic act of a coal being taken off an altar and placed on my life. And there the love and the holiness of God uh, gets rid of all of my guilt and my sin. Hallelujah. And then verse number eight. Now I want you to get the scene. Verse number eight, we've seen God, holy, holy, holy. Sarah's filing around. It's worship service. I mean, they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Isaiah falls under conviction, realizes his own sin, and uh, uh, God cleanses him, purifies him. And then verse number eight, God starts talking to himself. Now, verse number eight can be confusing because it's plural pronouns. But I remind you, God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They always have been and always will be. You say, well, I don't understand that. Come on in, the water's fine, neither do the rest of us. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God who can manifest himself in any form, but specifically does in three. So the triune God began talking to himself in verse number eight. And he said, he said whom shall I send and who will go for us? God said, hey, we need somebody to go for us. We need somebody to send into the work. We need somebody who could do the work of the Lord. And here's what Isaiah said. So moved by what he had seen and what had transpired to him. Here's what Isaiah said. Here am I. Some of the most famous words in the Bible. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Look no further. And all of this happened during a worship service. Worship service in heaven. So can I make three statements about worship based on this passage that I think apply to us today, and here they are. Number one is this. Sundays matter because our eyes get high. Sundays matter because our eyes get high. What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean, a time of worship is a time of ultimate focus on the Lord. I know we can worship anywhere. Right? You can worship in the car. How many of you have been riding the car and you put a good worship song on, put a good praise song on, and you find yourself going down the road and you're happy and you're beating on the steering wheel and you're raising your hands and, man, you're, you're, you're worshiping the Lord in your car? My wife did today. My wife's been listening to Southern Gospel all weekend long. And I've told you, you know, if you're new here, she's a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. Southern Gospel not really my thing. I like it, but it's just not my thing. But in order, because my wife gets up at six o'clock, comes to church with me early in the morning on Sundays. And so in order to thank her for that, we listen to Southern Gospel all the way into church on Sunday mornings. Pandora, Greater Vision Radio is what we listen to all the way in. We were singing this morning and she was getting all excited. I looked over at my wife and she had her hands raised in the air on the way to church. She's having church. I wasn't even right with God. I, I, wasn't, I didn't have enough caffeine in me to get saved this morning. Man, I, I'm still trying to get it all together. And she's over there, praise the Lord. I know you can worship God in your car. Like I know you can worship God in your quiet time every morning. Many of you do. But can I say to you that there is undoubtedly something special when we come to church on Sunday because it's 75 minutes of here at Peavine, 13, 14, 1500 believers who are focusing on the Lord seated on high. It is 25 minutes of us singing praise to our God. It is 30 minutes of us hearing a word from the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to let the word work into the crevices of our hearts and lives and transform us. It's an opportunity for people who don't know Christ to see believers lifting up Jesus and getting our eyes on high. Sundays are an opportunity for us to tell the greatest story ever told. That's the gospel. 
That's why Sundays matter. Sundays matter because it's a once a week opportunity for us to see the Lord high and lifted up. Sundays matter because on Sundays we finally get our focus off ourselves and on to God. Can I say to you this morning, when we focus on something or someone bigger than ourselves, it changes how we perceive the world around us. My wife and I moved in June to Ringgold, and uh, we live on a hill. I sometimes refer to it as a mountain. Now, I know some of you th- laugh at that, and you think, well, preacher, you don't live on a mountain. Well, you jog up it and tell me if it's a mountain or not. Or, or you skateboard down it and tell me if it's a mountain or not. I'm going to tell you, as Nathan calls it, the death wobble, you get about halfway down my hill or my mountain on a skateboard and you crash and roll down to the bottom. It's 1,000 yards down the mountain. It'll feel like a mountain when the ambulance is throwing you in the back of the car, in the back of the thing. It's I sometimes call it a mountain. Other than matter of fact, in preparation for this sermon, I looked up the altitude of my mountain. It is 907 feet. That's a mountain. Again, if you're jogging up or skateboarding down, that's a mountain. And a few weeks ago, last year, my, my wife and I went to Colorado. And we drove up one of those Colorado Rocky Mountains. We drove to the top as far as they let us go. We drove until we were in the clouds and the fog was so thick you could not see. I was driving about four miles an hour trying to get up the mountain. We drove until the temperature dropped in single digits. We drove to a place where snow is always on the ground. We drove so high that eventually they closed the road we were on and could not go any higher. I came back to Ringo, Georgia, and I said, I don't live on a mountain. I live on a bump. Right? Because here's the truth. I have now seen a mountain and my little hill ain't it. And I want to say to you, that's what Sundays do for us. Sundays show us the glory of God when we focus on him. And when I do that, my mountains don't seem so big compared to the God I serve. My troubles don't seem so steep compared to his glory, compared to his power, and compared to his majesty. You know, researchers at the University of Saskatchewan found that the incidence of clinical depression, get this, the incidence of clinical depression was 22% lower among those who regularly attended church. Now, that's significant. You say, well, why? Why would that be, preacher? Because church always had a place? No. Because when I come to church and I focus on my God, it puts my problems in perspective. Can I say to you that when you come to church, if you'll get your eyes on Jesus, if you'll get your eyes lifted high, you'll discover that you serve a God that can handle anything in your life, any problem in your life, he can take care of. Can I get an amen right there? So when we come into this place, Listen, you've got to do everything you can do in your power to get your eyes on him. When this choir and this praise team leads us, you ought to join in and sing praise to God. And I know what you're saying. You say, preacher, I can't sing, neither can I. Matter of fact, I said it in the early service last week. There's a couple sitting in front of me. And I went and apologized to them during the fellowship. If you sit right in front of me, I will apologize to you. If you want your preacher to apologize, just sit in front of me. And I'll just be honest with you, Jonathan Hannah Rogers. And they're sitting right here this week. (laughs) 
So if that tells you anything, I got Jonathan. I said, hey, man, I apologize. You're going to hear me sing, and I'm just going to, I, I, I let her fly, and so you just happen to be in the way of my bad notes. And he's like, oh, preacher, don't worry about it. I'm sure it's great. It won't be bad. But he's sitting over here this week, if you'll notice. <laughs> just saying. I don't care. I look down at my wife every now and then, and she's just smiling at her ear. And I know she loves Jesus, but that's not why. She's thinking, where is he? Man, they don't make notes like that in, in musical world. And uh, she knows all that stuff. I don't. Listen to me. When I cut, listen, here's what I say about worship. Here's what I tell Denny all the time. I'm the worship leader of this church. Can I tell you this? I don't know anything about music, but I know a lot about worship. You know why? Because I know the God whom I'm worshiping this morning. That's why. And God doesn't care what my voice is like. Listen, can I tell you this? When I get to heaven, it'll be fixed when I get there. I do not want to sit on the preacher side of heaven. I want to sit on the choir side of heaven. Because I'm finally going to be able to sing, holy, holy, holy. We come into this place and we sing, we worship. You say, I don't, that's not my favorite song. Hey, it's not about the music. It's about the person we're singing to. His name is Jesus. And we ought to get our eyes totally fixed on him. And you ought to come into this place and lay down the distractions. Lay down the burdens, lay down the sorrow, and get your eyes fixed on him. Can I tell you, that's why we try to make worship a continually make it a better experience. That's why we work on it weekly, because Jesus is high and lifted up, and he deserves our best when we come into this place. Sundays matter because it gets our eyes high. Number two, I want to tell you, Sundays matter because it gets our hearts low. Isaiah had already been involved in the work of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, he's already doing work for the Lord. But man, when he got his eyes on high, something happened in that worship service. Isaiah saw himself for what he really was, and he was far from God in his heart. And that worship service became an opportunity for Isaiah to recognize the fact that he wasn't as close to God as he thought and to make things right with God. That's hard for a preacher to do. But Isaiah was a preacher. And Isaiah came into that worship service thinking, I got all this figured out. Me and God are tight, and I'm already working for him. He got in a worship service, and he, what we would have called it when I was a kid, he fell under conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and found forgiveness and righteousness when he got into the presence of the Lord. May I say to you, that's why Sundays matter around here. Because we lift our eyes high to worship the one and true living God. And in so doing, here's what happens. We see the glory of God and our own unrighteousness is revealed when we see the glory of God. Can I say to you that if you're comparing your Christian life to the guy sitting next to you or the gal sitting next to you, you're going to seem like a pretty good Christian. But when you come in here and you get your eyes fixed on Jesus, God will do a work in your heart. When we see his glory, we can't help but see our need. You ever been riding around in your car and thought, uh, I need to wash my car. You looked around and then you thought, well, it's pretty clean. It's not too bad. I, I was doing it the other day. I was in my truck and I was actually driving to church and I looked at my truck and my truck's always fairly picked up and clean. No, I don't leave stuff out in it. But I got to look at my truck and it was, it was dusty and, and uh, hadn't been washed. The window was a little bit dirty. And I said to myself, well, my truck is, I need to get my truck washed. I need to get it, go get it detailed. And then the more I looked at it, the more I talked myself out of it. I said, well, you know what? The truck's not too bad. The truck's pretty clean. As a matter of fact, I mean, compared to some people, 
you know, I've had teenagers. I know what a dirty car looks like. And so compared to some people, my truck looks good. And so by the time I got to church, I had talked myself into believing my truck was spotless when I got here. Pulled in the parking lot, and Daniel and I had to go somewhere. Daniel's got a fairly new truck, and I got in Daniel's truck. I looked around, and I could see my reflection in his black leather seat, it seemed like, in his car. It glowed. I'm telling you, I kid you not, a new car would have bowed its head in shame looking at Daniel's truck that day. I got in his truck, and I said, what in the world, man? Where's your truck so clean? He said, well, I, I took several hours yesterday, and I hand-washed this car and hand, got all obsessive with it, wiping down in between the door jams and all that stuff in there, and Windex this and armor all that and clean this and clean that. I mean, I, I got in that truck, and we were in it for a couple hours, and the whole time I'm thinking, this is the cleanest truck I've ever seen. He got me back to the church dropped me off. I got in my truck, and I looked at it, and I said, you are a filthy piece of junk, the user truck is. I hate this truck, you're so dirty. Why are you so dirty? But it's because I'd seen one that was clean. Right? And that's the power of a worship service. That's the power of a Sunday. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you're not a Christian, you come in this place, you're thinking I'm a pretty good person. God ought to let me into heaven. I've not murdered anybody. I've not run around on my wife. I've not run around on my husband. God ought to let me into heaven. Listen to me. You see the glory of God. And here's what you realize. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven. Maybe you're already a Christian. You come in here thinking my relationship with God is just fine. And then you come into a church service and you see the glory of God. And listen, we say every day, every Sunday is somebody's one day. That's the day it strikes them. That's the day their hearts get touched by God. That's the day they'll find forgiveness. That's the day they'll find relationship. That's the day they'll find cleansing. That's the day they'll find heaven. And today could be your day. You could be here today far from God in your heart. And today's the day where God is drawing you to him. Listen, don't, make, don't turn that away when God does that. Today could be your day that you're already a Christian, but God's stirring on your heart to do something for him. God's stirring on your heart to walk with him. Today is your day. Then here's why Sundays matter. Because on Sundays, our eyes get high. And when our eyes get high, our hearts get low. We see our need for Jesus. Number three, Sundays matter because our feet get moving. Now, would you, would you if you're taking notes, jot that down. Would you just close your Bibles? I'll preach five more minutes and I'm done. Close your Bibles, look this way. Isaiah has seen the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah has seen his need for cleansing and getting his heart right through God. Was well, a story in there? Most time, that's where we'd end the story. Well, that's a good note. Isaiah got forgiven and cleansed. The story never ends there because God has a work for all of us to do. Isaiah, immediately, volunteers to serve the Lord. God says, who could we get to go do a work? And Isaiah said, please, 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 please let me do it, God. Please let me serve you. Please let me be involved in what's going on. No begging, no pleading by God. Just a man who had had his, had a transformational encounter with God saying, how could I not serve the one who saved me? Can I tell you, here's why Sundays matter. Because every Sunday, you have an opportunity to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, use me. 
I tell you to say, hear my Lord, I volunteer, but I'm afraid you make you a Tennessee fan, so don't do that. Just say, hear my Lord, send me. Here's the truth. Isaiah had been changed, and he wanted to be involved in spreading the change to others. And church, can I tell you this? Once you've been touched by God, a team of wild horses couldn't stop you from bragging on him and serving him. When you have experienced something amazing, you always want to help others experience the same. I mean, if, if, if you were to lose 25 pounds, you're on a diet, and somebody come up to you and say, well, you look great. How'd you lose 20? Nobody ever says, oh, I don't know. I just did it. No, no, no. There's always something you're selling, something you're peddling, some kind of thing you got going on, videos I need to watch or something I need to post. And there's always something going on, right? Because you're excited about the change in your life and you want to help others find that change. How many, how many of you in the building, anybody ever use essential oils? Let me, let me see. Anybody, anybody else use that stuff? I thought it was witchcraft. <laughs> um, it was a few years ago, Michaela, my youngest over here, she had to have an MRI. She has an aneurysm, and she had to get an MRI, and we were driving to her Emory Clinic. And it's early in the morning on a Saturday, and it's going to be a two- or three-hour ordeal. And it's a long, complicated MRI, a different kind of MRI they were doing. And so they were having to drill down in closely to see it. And we got up early that morning, and I was uh, 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 on the way there, and I kind of wake up cheerful. But I woke up with a headache that day. And, and Michaela, we just, she just got into all those doTERRA oils, and she had her little case back in the back. And uh, she was telling us all about them, sounded like voodoo to me, and she had it all back there. And... She said, well, Daddy, if, if, if you got a headache, she said, I can rub something on, your, on you and it'll help get rid of the headache. And I said, oh, baby, I don't know about any of that. And she said, come on, Daddy, let me, let's try it, let's try it. And so I said, what are you going to do? Peppermint oil, I'll rub some peppermint on that thing and that, that'll go away. And I mean, I was suspicious, but I'm thinking, you know what, my kid's about to go get an MRI. I'm just going to humor her a little bit. And she uh, rubbed something on my, on my neck, back of my neck. She was in the back seat. And uh, we get her to Emory, and uh, you know, we get her back there, and we can't go back there with her. We're in the waiting room. And uh, listen, I wake up kind of like I am right now. You know, I just get up cheerful, and I, I just kind of wake up like, why are you not wide awake? I'm wide awake, you know. And I don't really move into awakeness. I just, here I am, and you know. And so, uh, uh, but man, I got in that waiting room, and I, and I don't sleep really good at night. Uh, anyway, I just not not a not a great night's sleep. I'm not a good sleeper, and, and I've been up all, I've been up since about 4 a.m. this morning. I dreamed last night that Sherry and I were getting on a plane in Chicago, and she got talking to somebody, and she got behind me, and I got on the plane, and the plane taxied off without her. And then I dreamed I went down to the front of the plane before it taxied and told them we're not leaving till I get my wife. And then Homeland Security came and was getting me, and it's just a bad night, man. It's just a bad night for me. Just a bad night. But I'm in this waiting room and I'm wide awake. I've been sucking coffee down and all of a sudden I get sleepy. And I mean, I get sleepy like I don't take naps. I can't remember the last time I, if I've ever taken a nap. I didn't take naps as kids. My mama would put me down for a nap to hush me up and uh, I just lay there with my eyes open the whole time. And I don't take naps. I don't never have. If I slept for five minutes during the day, I'd be awake for two days. I cannot take a nap. And, and so I, I'm sitting there and I'm in this Emory waiting room and I'm woozy. I am so sleepy. I am woozy. And uh, my wife Life is like, a, a woozy is a Greek word for being real tired. And so I'm, I'm woozy and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? I said, Jerry, I, I 
I can't keep my eyes open. And I said, I, something's wrong with me. And I said, uh, uh, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to find uh, like three chairs and I'm going to lay down in the chairs. And she's like, are you okay? Do I need to call somebody? No, I don't know. I can't keep my head op- up. And, and so I'm just fighting it the whole time. I'm just groggy. And we get in the car to go home finally. And I'm just so asleep. And I hear Michaela say, uh-oh. I didn't rub peppermint on you. I rubbed lavender on you. Now, if you're not from the essential oils world, lavender puts you to sleep. The voodoo had worked on me. I sent my wife to a doTERRA essential oils uh, thing. And I'm like, hey, go get us some of that stuff. We don't sleep good at night. Get me a bottle of that stuff. I'll rub it, drink it, bathe, whatever it tastes. Go get me some of that stuff. My wife called me and she said, I'm gonna get a starter kit. Man, I said, get it, get a starter kit. Buy a bucket of it. She came back and she said, the starter kit's $500. I said, hey, back her down a little bit. We don't need it that much. Here's what happened. Man, I, I, I left my house this morning. We got a diffuser. I got peppermint and eucalyptus going in the middle of the house. I got that stuff going everywhere. I rub lavender on me every night. Why? Look, if the lavender factory broke down, I'd go help them fix it. I don't even know how it works. Because I have experienced the life-transforming power of essential oils. And I want to help you experience the same. So if you see me after church for $499, I can get you started. No, I don't sell it, but this would have been a good chance, Sherry, for me to have uh, signed up. Hey, can I say worship is that way? Now, you say, preacher, what in the world? But listen to me. Once you've been changed, our feet get moving And we want to help others find that same transformational power of Jesus Christ. That's why you should never get saved and sit. God didn't save us to say, oh, I'm glad I'm saved and now I'm going to sit here till Jesus comes. No, no. God didn't save us to sit. God saved you so you could get your feet moving. So others can experience the same transformational power that you've experienced. That's why on Sundays we need your help. I mean, we need you out serving during the week. This is not the mission field that is, but every Sunday is somebody's one day. We need you playing instruments, singing, helping the kids, preschool, Sunday school, greeters, usher, the list goes on and on and on. So they can find, so people far from God can come here and experience the same life transformation you experience one day in a worship service. We need you serving, inviting, praying and preparing your hearts to get ready to worship God. So today is Sunday. Sundays matter. Sundays matter because our eyes get high and we see Jesus high and lifted up. Sundays matter Because our hearts get touched by the music, by the message, maybe conviction and a handshake of a friend who knows what's going on in our lives. Sundays matter because our feet ought to get moving. Because 
we'll, we'll have, last, I don't know how many we have this week. Last week we had 1,365 in worship. That only leaves another 4,498, no, 495,600 more. So I can't do the math in my head, but you get it. Who need Jesus? It's not about how full this building is, it's about how lost that world is. We need your feet moving, helping make a difference. And Sundays matter because our, our feet get moving. Today's Sunday. Could be that you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Today's a day to fix all that. And the enemy will sit there and give you a thousand reasons why you should not become a Christian today. Ignore all of those. He is your enemy and he's lying to you. Today's a day to find Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody to take that connection card that you have, you've got and you filled out. If somebody in your row doesn't have one, would you, would you make sure they have one real quickly? Just quietly and quickly. Just take five seconds. Get that connection card in your lap. Pen or pencil if you've got one. There's some in the chairs. And once you have that card, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Become a Christian as simple as ABC. A, admit you're, you can't save yourself. You can't. I can't. Nobody can. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And C, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. If you're a Christian today, if you're not a Christian today, you can do that right where you see it right now. You don't, you don't have to walk to the front. You don't have to go. You can do that right where you see it right now. We encourage you to walk to the front, but you don't have to. You can do it right now, and I'm going to help you do it. If you're not a Christian, but you'd like to be today, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's, not, it's no secret prayer. It's no magic formula. But the intent of your prayer is to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you'd like to become a Christian today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. You can pray in your heart or out loud, but say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm lost and I can't save myself. But I know Christ died on the cross for my sins. And he rose again on the third day. And just now, I invite Jesus into my heart, into my life, to save me, forgive me of my sins, and give me a home in heaven. Dave, you just prayed that prayer with me. There's a box down at the bottom of that card. You can check and say, I just prayed to receive Jesus. I want you to check that box. You can do two things with it. You can walk that card down to me or one of our staff members and say, in just a moment, and just say, hey, I prayed to receive Jesus. We'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you this morning. Not going to embarrass you, call you out, put a microphone in your face, none of that stuff. We'd love to celebrate. But if you'll, you, you can, if you would like, just pass that card in. And we'll pick it up, and we'll call you, and I'll tell you how to turn it in in a moment. We'll call you, and we'll offer you some materials on how to take the next step in the Christian life. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.